0: Welcome to Pillar & Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC. This episode is a Pillar & Ground Confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. Today we're studying our confession from Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2, the second part. Last time we talked about the characteristics of created mankind. Today we'll be looking at the covenant with and the calling of Created mankind or humanity. The second part of Westminster Confession of Faith 4.2 says this They had the law of God written in their hearts and had power to fulfill it. They were, however, under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. In addition to this law written in their hearts, they received a command. Not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's important as we hear that description of humanity created that we understand the covenant with created mankind. It's called sometimes the covenant of life or the covenant of works or the Edenic covenant. Westminster Confession of Faith 7.2 will note this the first covenant made with man was a covenant of works. Wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Interestingly, the larger Catechism 20 says entering into a covenant of life with Adam. So the Confession of Faith 7.2 calls it covenant of works. Westminster Larger Catechism 20 calls it covenant of life. And thus some call it the covenant of life and some call it the covenant of works. And John Frank calls it the Edenic covenant. At any rate, it's a covenant creation in it's is, is part of a covenant, and we need to understand the particular parties and the particular terms. First, God's the creator, and all of God's relations with creatures are covenantal. He has the right to claim total obedience for himself, and it is only God, the creator, who can claim full, unmitigated obedience because everything is due him. Man can never do anything Above what is required of him. God sovereignly and will understand kindly imposes his covenant on humans. This is not some mutual contract where we get to negotiate or one will benefit the other. No, man is called on to make proper responses to the covenant, and we never have a hand in setting down the terms of the covenant. We must remember that by God, entering into the covenant, he commits himself to fulfill his promised obligations, and for us as humans, there is both a promise and there are very, very clear terms. The covenant participants are Adam and his relationship with the human race. Adam is not functioning in the garden as merely an individual, but in a corporate relationship with the entire human race, as Paul makes clear in his work in Romans 5, Uh, Adam is functioning as a principle of headship, federal headship, representation, where God specially constitutes the relationship of Adam and his posterity, as we heard in Westminster Confession Faith 7.2, wherein life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. Corporate guilt and corporate righteousness are important to understand here. The penalty or blessing pronounced upon Adam would fall upon the whole human race. Adam is designated by God as the federal head of the human race with the stipulations of the covenant. Adam's sin becomes our sin. Adam's guilt becomes our guilt. And Romans 5:14 helps us understand the nature of this covenant that there are only two federal representatives in history. Adam and thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. So from creation, we have the covenant parties, God, the covenant maker, the creator, the covenant participants, Adam, and all of the human race following his posterity. And the condition of obedience. There was a condition, as the confession in 4.2 says. They received a command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a command, a probationary situation, a test, Remember, they had the law written in their hearts, the power to fulfill it, but they also had the possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, subject to change. And they were told, this command, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a fruit tree, according to Genesis 2 and 3, that they could not enjoy. This is a test of Adam, our federal head's covenant faithfulness, one that we understand he failed, and thus we as well. There was the promise of life, as the confession says. In addition to this writ law written in their hearts, they received a command to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as long as they obeyed this command, they would be happy in their communion with God and have dominion over the creatures. If Adam had obeyed, We don't know all that that would have meant. We do know he would have been able to continue on as God's servant, enjoying whatever rewards God chose to give, if only the continuing favor of the Father. And as John Frame says, there's after all no greater reward than the Father's favor. O. Palmer Robertson notes, the tree of life there symbolized the possibility of being sustained in the condition of covenantal blessing in life. If man passes the test of probation, he would live forever. This sign of perpetual blessing reappears in the biblical imagery of consummation. The tree of life appears one more time, one, once more. This time, 12 different varieties of fruit appear, providing freshness of life according to each month of the year. But because he fails, there is not the covenantal term of life given, but the curse of death. Judicial death, spiritual death, physical death. Adam is separated from his fellowship and blessing with God and comes under condemnation. And that's the terms of the covenant of creation. God makes it. Adam is the participant and all of his posterity. There are terms to the covenant, life upon keeping it, death upon breaking it. And the confessions dealing with that covenant of life and works in four point two, but it also very shortly deals with the calling of creative mankind. As long as they obeyed this command, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Dominion over the creatures, that's Moses' description of the job that God gave man to perform: dominion. The confession says dominion over the creatures. That's the cultural mandate. Implied in that is the twofold mandate of multiplication and dominion. The creatures implied in that is that there would be multiplication, reproduction of the creatures and the image of God. And so man's specific command from God is to be fruitful and to increase and fill the earth and subdue it and rule it according to Genesis 1.28. As we've talked about the confession, we've understood the characteristics of creative mankind and the covenant with creative mankind, but let's think a little bit about the calling of creative mankind. Uh, this cultural mandate that still is in effect for the image of God is twofold. We're first to have dominion, to subdue and rule all of God's creation, our purpose of dominion is to exercise authority over creation in a way that we manage God's vast resources on God's behalf in God's way. Whatever facets of creation God places before us, that is what we would call our domain. And what kingdom calling is is bringing His dominion and all that the realities that flow from that to every domain we find ourselves in. That could be our property. Our people, our cities, our neighborhoods, our vocation, our tongues, our resources, our gifts, our country, our children. All of this within our particular domain is to be subdued under the rule and the reign of God according to his word. And that is why we say there is no secular sacred divide. Whatever domain God gives us is sacred because as his worship image bearers who worship him, we're to make that domain his delight. Through the, though the fall of humans into sin made our work and our lives subject to the curse of sin, exercising dominion is a privilege and not a curse. God draws our domain and calls us, take this portion of my kingdom that I've given to you and I want you to order it, unearth its treasure, do all you can to cultivate it so that all can see what a great king I am. That's dominion and no domain. There are no little people because God has given all of us a domain for his dominion to show forth. Now some may ask, can't we just focus on what is spiritual? Well, no. Our first commandment involved a system, a real physical space, a tangible domain. We're called to leave it better unto God through multiplication and dominion, bringing the rule of God to whatever sphere we are in. I've illustrated this oftentimes with a pink Baskin-Robbins sample spoon, asking people to consider what taste of the truth and reality of the kingdom of God are you called to give others in your work, in your home, in your gifts, in your stewardship. Ask yourself, what flavor of the kingdom am I delivering that would point people to the great king of kings? Let God delight in the samples of himself that we are putting on display in every domain of our lives so that others would be drawn to the God who made them in his image. Some also may ask, can't we just focus on our individual sanctification? No, because each of our domains finds themselves as part of a larger domain. While we can not ever eliminate sin before the return of the king, it must not have free reign. That sin in our domain, and I've said this recently on another podcast, but sin in our domain is like kudzu. It grows quickly and must be cut back daily. That is faithful kingdom domain diligence that with Holy Spirit power, we labor to diminish sin individually and corporately and replace it with righteousness in every domain and sphere that God gives us. And this should affect our work. Man's commission to have dominion means that mankind should manage whatever aspects of creation placed before us. This is what gives a dignity to work. Adam and Eve worked before sin came into the world. Dominion through work is not a curse, but a privilege. God distributes among mankind property that man is responsible for cultivating and ruling. And this responsibility of dominion should cause us as his followers to view work as a privilege, though hard, and as a service to the king. Simply put, the king receives great honor when his creatures... Bring the realities of his dominion to every domain on the earth. But there's a second part of this, and it's multiplication. Be fruitful, increase, and fill. So when you think about your life as a human being made in the image of God, consider your twofold job description. Dominion and multiplication. Subdue and be fruitful. Rule and reign over that which God's given you to bring his reign to bear, and increase and fill it. Many kingdoms in that moment, as Moses spoke in the ancient Near East, stretched across thousands of square miles. Kings were very powerful leaders, but the size of their domains prevented spatial political problems. Many rulers solved this problem by establishing and erecting what they would call images of themselves at key places throughout their kingdoms. They were known as vice regents. Or they did, over the property of their kingdom, just place statues to mark their territory. And when citizens saw the images of their emperors, those rulers, or those statues, they understood to whom they owed their allegiance. They knew who ruled the land. They knew which domain they were dwelling in based on the presence of images of the king. Hear that again. People knew which domain they were in based on the presence of the images of the king. You've seen this, perhaps, of statues of Stalin and Lenin and Hussein being torn down after their defeat or death. This serves as a visceral declaration that those people no longer rule here. Their statues must come down. And so when human beings are multiplying image bearers, God is doing a similar thing. As the pinnacle of his creation, we are marking with multiplication of his image the extent of his reign, particularly as those who understand him as our king. The job description for image bearers of God is multiplication, produce images of god that will cover the earth just as ancient near eastern emperors filled their kingdom with statues and representatives so that god will populate the earth and show the extent of his reign through the end of the earth now we know this is far more to do than mere biological reproduction we're not animals but with the advent of sin Children are not born with a natural propensity to follow the commands of our maker. So we need image bearers who are God-fearers, followers of Christ to multiply. That way the mark of the king's reign, the resurrected king, would truly show. We need parents to show them the way because multiplication is not just physical, it's spiritual. So it's not enough just to multiply more humans. The emphasis now in light of sin is to multiply more and more humans who serve and worship the king marking and declaring the extent of his reign in his way, according to his word. Therefore, when human beings are multiplied who are not from families of God-fearers, they still retain dignity, but they fail to mark the extensity of God's reign, instead marking the reign of imposter rivals. So what does all this mean? Several things. We need Christian families committed to multiplication, both numerically and spiritually. This is the heart of covenant theology. This is the heart of our calling from creation. After all, God's first and primary method of evangelism is the family. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 shows that without spiritual multiplication, we fail our basic purpose on earth. We must pass our spiritual inheritance on to future generations. That's the heart of our job as God's images. And while this cannot be done without physical reproduction and multiplication, Physical multiplication is not enough in and of itself. We need spiritual multiplication. Thus, you don't have to be married to pick up this calling of multiplication. One does not need to be currently in the stage of nurturing children to do this. All of us should be looking for opportunities to spiritually father and mother, image bearers unto their design to glorify God through Jesus Christ. To all of us, single, married, grandparents, Youth, all of us listening, the King of Heaven says, You see my precious images? Help them fear me. Bring the good news to them that their hearts may know me. Keep them then, mold them, and make them beautiful, so that all may see my glory and the great extensity of my reign may be marked with more and more image bearers who worship the living christ so based on this when someone asks you what do you do what's your purpose short answer should be to have dominion to participate in multiplication that's been god's call on humans from the very beginning thank you for listening to another episode of pillar and ground